song, isn't it? Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to preach this morning on the subject, the faith of one mother. The faith of one mother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pause to pray. I hunger so much, Lord, for you to bless in the preaching of your word. It doesn't matter that I am satisfied with the performance of preaching. It doesn't matter. But what matters is that the truth of the message is delivered in a way that it could be understood and that it could be applied to our lives. And it matters, Lord, that the message is not just one of words, but one empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray that it would be this morning. I hunger for that and pray that you'd bless it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Turn me down just a little bit, because I feel like it's perfect, and I'm going to yell in a moment. When I do, it's going to be too loud. All right, Brother Tyra, can you still hear me? Well, if you can, we got it made. All right, good, because you're the one I'm preaching at. But anyway, there are many events that have changed, directed, or redirected the course of human events. When we think of them, we think of wars, we think of conflicts, we think of national leaders of renown and their ability of leadership to lead or redirect a nation. However, there could have been no change or direction of human events greater than the event recorded here in our text passage. And I want to tell you the story about Moses. Now, you know the end result. Moses is the one that led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan. He is the one that helped in the fulfilling of God's will for the greatest nation on earth, the nation that would bless all nations, the nation of Israel to become a reality. Let me see if I can tell you the story. I want to do well in telling you the story. The Jews were slaves. The Hebrew people were slaves in the land of Egypt. But they were growing in great numbers. They were multiplying. And Pharaoh feared an army of the Hebrews that would get so big, or there would be so many of the Hebrews, they would form an army to overthrow Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So he called the midwives and he said, When you deliver a baby, if it is a boy, I want you to take the child's life. I don't want any more men for a certain period of time to be born and to grow up here in the land of Egypt. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. Imagine if you and I lived in a culture. Imagine if we lived in a time that the law of the land, and Pharaoh was the law of the land, If it was the law of the land that when a child was born, if it was a male, that child's life would be taken at the hospital. That's hard to imagine, but that's the setting and that's where we come to when we get to chapter 2. That's the law of the land. Males are to be killed. Their lives are to be taken. Think what this was like in the culture. Think what it was like in the home When a woman is expecting a child and she gets halfway in six months and seven months and and she wonders, is this a male child? Is it a female child? And no, no doubt there is an anxiety and even a fear wondering if this is a male child, this baby is going to be killed. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want us to relate to that culture. 
We're living in a day where the devil is in an all-out attack to ruin our children, both male and female. And I, I, I'm not going to go into detail, but when you, pass, when you have to pass laws to protect kindergarten children from drag queens coming in and putting on a drag queen show in kindergarten, the devil's out, out to get our children. There's a lot of examples and a lot of things I could talk about. You see them, you hear them in the news. Some tried to deny that they're happening, but they're taking place. We work with a lot of children, hundreds and hundreds of children. And children are being confused about their gender. What a sad thing. They're not confused, they're being confused. And it's a sad thing. And when I think of the culture in the land of Egypt and the hatred toward uh, the Hebrew boys and the, and the order to kill them so the army can't, so they can't form an army, uh, that is a culture that we're sort of living in today. The internet is, the, is, is an enemy of children today. Games are connected to folks that are looking for children to hurt and to harm. I, I'm not telling you about something that I've read. I'm talking about counseling that's gone on in the past few days of young people that have come to our church that played on an innocent game that connected them on the internet to folks that started grooming them to corrupt their minds. It's happening in our world today. As we open chapter 2, a mother by the name of Jochebed, who has a daughter, she gives birth to a baby, and it is a baby boy. She gives birth at home. She gives birth without the aid of the midwives. And it's obvious as to why she does that, and you can imagine the concerns that they have. You can imagine every time someone would approach where they lived and ever how they lived as slaves in the land of Egypt, you would, <coughs> you would uh, have an apprehension or an anxiety wondering what would happen. And the Bible says that she hid the child for three months. Think of the love of the sister of that little baby boy. We've got a lot of children in our church, and, and it's an it, interesting thing to watch the older siblings taking care of the young siblings. Oftentimes, as I see a baby, uh, there'll be an older brother or sister standing there watching me see their little baby brother or sister for the first time, and they stand, stand there so proud. And I'll often say to them, would you mind if I took this little boy home with me? I don't have any boys left. Oh, no, preacher, you can't have my brother. He's my brother. And there is a special love that a sister has for a baby brother. And this sister is very concerned. She's very attached to this situation. She decides to make a basket. And she pitches it or she seals it inside and out so that this basket will float in the water. Now the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty three. get these words, by faith Moses when he was born was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
And it wasn't an act of fear, it was an act of faith. And I'm not sure, uh, exactly sure why they put this baby in the basket, but in the will of God, faith in the providence of God, they put this baby in a basket and they put it in the water. The little girl is watching that basket. I mean, I don't know how far away she is, but she's watching that basket. She knows her baby brother is in there. Pharaoh's own daughter, the princess, comes down to the river and she comes with her maidens and she sees this basket and she tells them to get the basket to see what's in it. When they open the basket, there is a Hebrew baby boy. She knows the order of her dad. She knows what the Pharaoh has said. She knows that the Pharaoh has ordered for all of the baby boys to be killed. She's heard the cries. She's seen the tears of the Hebrew women of babies that lives have been taken. She knows what's going on, but little Moses begins to cry. And she falls in love with this baby just like that. The sister watching... When she comes running down, all this is in this chapter here in chapter 2. She comes down and she speaks to the princess. She says to Pharaoh's daughter, she said, Would you like for me to get one of the Hebrew mothers to nurse the baby? And she says, Go. Can you imagine that little girl as she goes to get a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby? Guess which one she chose? Her mama. Can you see her running to the house and telling her, Mama, Mama, you'll never guess what happened. Pharaoh's daughter came down and found baby Moses, but he's okay. She's not going to kill him. She wants somebody that will feed, that will nurse the baby. Mama, she told me to come and get someone. And she said, come, Mama, I want you to come. And I want you to meet Pharaoh's daughter. You find the story when she comes there. It's an interesting thing. She comes there and she tells the mother. She obviously, she doesn't know who she is, but she tells of this Hebrew woman who is the mother of Moses. She said, you take him and nurse him and I'll pay you a wage. Moses got a Christian education on an Egyptian school voucher. He was taken home. Now, I, I, I work to find ages. The Bible tells us in, in how old Moses was when he was weaned and how long she kept him. And here, here's what I found. Exodus chapter 2 verse number 10 says, Moses became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So there was some type of an adoption process and he becomes the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And the best I can tell, his mother took care of him until he was 12 years old. At the age of 13 was the age of responsibility. Now I can't find that age, but as much as I can tell in the scripture, he was probably around the age of 12 or 13 when she finished rearing him and then took him and gave him to Pharaoh's daughter as a responsible young man. Now it's interesting, the book of Acts chapter 7 verse 22, the Bible says this, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. 
and was mighty in words and in deeds. Excuse me while I get ahead of myself just for a moment, but can you see the providence of God working in this child to give him not only a Christian Hebrew education, but then to train him in all the ways of the Egyptians. God knew what he was going to do. God knows what he's going to do. God help us to have faith to do what we're supposed to do and trusting in the faith and the providence of an almighty God. He would have been schooled as if he would have someday been the ruler of Egypt. This would have given him many skills that God would later use to to help him in leading his people out of the promised land. This was 28 years of training because we know what happened at age 40. At age 40, Moses goes out and he sees the Egyptians hurting one of the Hebrew slaves and Moses kills the Egyptian. As a result, he flees to Midian and he's there for 40 years. I'm not going to go into all of that story, but I want you to think of this. Jochebed had Moses for 12 years. She trains him as a Hebrew to love the Creator. To know that God made him and God loves him. And I want you to look at the circumstances. She's not in a nice house. She's not in a nice place to live. She is a slave. They are slaves. And she's living in this place. But she is not complaining about her circumstances. She is looking at the opportunity that she has for 12 years to train this young man in the nurture and admonition of the Lord before she gives him to Pharaoh's daughter. Moses' father and mother were people of faith in God. They were of the tribe of Levi. Those were the priests and the servants of God. And and, and, uh, they had faith in the power of God. Folks, if they could have faith in the power of God at a time when they were slaves, certainly America could have faith in God in the freedom that we have, though our nation is in dire need of revival. Too many Christians are giving up because we don't see hope in one another. Our hope never has been in one another. Our hope has always been in God. Do we have to lose everything in America before we turn to faith in God? These folks had nothing but faith in God, but that's all they needed to rear this boy in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They had faith in the person of God, the power of God. And I wish I had time to develop this. They had faith in the processes of God. I really want you to hear what I'm about to say. Faith is not for what God will do for us today, but faith is trusting in the processes of God and in the providence of God for what He will do in the future. Too many people give up on God because they don't don't get rewarded in a week or two weeks or three weeks. Understand this woman has 12 years to rear this boy in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The next 28 years he'll be trained as an Egyptian to learn their languages, to learn their ways, to become a Pharaoh himself. And the Bible tells us that later he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, uh, choosing rather to suffer a 
affliction with the people of God rather than choosing uh, the, uh, the wealth of all of Egypt. He chose to do the will of God. Why? Because he had a mama who taught him to have faith in God. But she's not talking about being rewarded Friday. She's not talking about being rewarded next year. And I want us to understand that the rearing of our children is not just for the immediate rewards, but it is for the time in the future of the difference they'll make for the cause of Christ. As I watched our graduates, 19 of them, come across the platform on Friday night from the college and realize all that's been put into them, all the investment that's been made and the prayers and the teaching and the training. And then last week I was with two missionaries that have been on the field 40 years. 40 years they've been on the field. Kevin Wynn's been in Mexico City 40 years. Rick Martin in the Philippines for 40 years. Rick Martin has seen 5,000 churches started in the Philippines as a result of his ministry. 5,000. He, he, he's one of the smallest fellows I've ever seen. Folks have said he wouldn't weigh 100 pounds with bananas in every pocket. The bananas would weigh more than him. I mean, he's a little guy. He's the most unassuming guy. Oh, but his training, his, his, what has been invested in him from his home uh, to his Christian schooling to the Bible college and the difference that he made. Oh, listen to me. We're not rearing our children for ourselves. We're rearing our children for the will of God. And it may not be today or next week. Oh, but in the future, it's amazing what God does when we put the right things in the minds and the hearts of our children. They were people of faith in God. They were slaves, but they were devoted to God. Imagine this home of faith in God, slaves in a land of bondage, and yet faith in God. How do we see our homes today? How do we, our, how do we see our children today? Oh, how I thank God that my parents not only taught me the Word of God, but gave me a Christian education where I would learn not only the Bible, but learn American history and the Christian heritage of our nation and faith in God. Thank God for godly mothers, and I challenge you young ladies, be a godly mother, rear and teach and be an example of faith in God in their life. Abraham Lincoln said, no man is poor who has a godly mother. Lincoln said, all that I am or hope to be, I owe it to my mother. This is my favorite quote of Abraham Lincoln about his mother. He said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have followed me. They have clung to me all my life. You may be here today as an adult man and an adult lady and you may be away from what your mama taught you and what your father taught you. You may not be in the will of God. You may not be that. You may be here today because you love your mom and you want to honor your mom. The greatest way you could honor your mother is to live in the ways that she taught you because it's not her ways that count. It's the Bible way. It's God's ways that make a difference. The Bible says that the princess paid the mother a wage to care for little Moses. 
But dear friend, the wage of a coin could not compare to the wage that received that she received as a son who would one day be called of God to lead the people from slavery to salvation, from fear to freedom, from poverty to prosperity. She got to rear the boy that led one of the greatest leaders in all of the Bible, Moses, giving us the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Oh, listen to me. That was the wage she received. And the greatest wage a mother can can receive is for her children to walk in truth and to do right. Faith was born in Moses when he was a baby. Think about this. Faith was born in Moses as a baby. No doubt he heard the story. He knew the story that as, as he got older and they would recall the story how that he was in a basket of bulrushes. He was in the basket when he was found. And the Bible says she feared not the commandment of, of Pharaoh, but she had faith in God. He learned about faith in God when he was a boy. Now stay with me. Stay with me. He learned about that. She taught him for those 12 years. The next 28 years he would be in training as a son of Pharaoh then he kills a man and he has to flee now he's in Midian and he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep now don't miss this story faith that was born way back here when he was a boy and taught to have faith in God but he is out of the will of God he is he's a fugitive running from the law he is in Midian because he's killed and an Egyptian But as he's in that desert, there is a bush there. And that bush begins to burn. And God begins to speak to Moses. He said, Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. Friend, that wasn't the first time he heard about God. That wasn't the first time. Ah, ah, but what a reminder it was. What an awakening it was that took him back to that day when he was a boy. It took him back to those days that he heard his sister telling him the story. And I imagine she rubbed it in and she probably used it against him and said, Hey, I saved your life. You need to do something for me. I know how brothers and sisters work. He'd heard that story all the time that he was a boy, but that faith in God was born. If you're here today and there's been a faith uh, in God born in your heart and in your mind because of a mama that took you to church and a mama that taught you the Word of God and taught you how to pray, uh, listen to me. Don't wander from the will of God. Get back to the faith that you've been taught in your life. Fathers and mothers here today and listening to the sound of my voice, your faith of obedience in the rearing of your children is not just for the day and this hour. Your faith in rearing your children is for the coming day and time. We're living in a mess in our nation today. Our nation's being invaded by illegal aliens from all over the world. Our nation's in trouble today. We're in trouble in every way. I met yesterday the president of the Border Control Agency. 19,000 border control uh, border control officers are a part of this union. I met the president yesterday. 
He said by the thousands every day, they're not just crossing the border. He said when, when, when folk, when, when you understand that, that they're in countries they can't get to the border, but what happens is these, uh, these uh, um, I'll think of their name and what they call them in a minute, but they bring them to the border. They put a wristband around their arm and it's a different color and it tells how much they owe what do they call those lords? Cartel, the cartel. Stay out of my preaching. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you didn't help me, I'd been stuck. We'd have been late for lunch. The cartels put a band around their arms. And it represents a certain amount of money. And they have to pay that cartel that money. Do you understand when they come across the border, they're then bust and flown into all the states in the United States. They're coming in, into Kentucky. Every day they're bust into our state. He said, when the cartel coming across the Rio Grande, I heard this, I talked to him yesterday. He said, when they're coming across the Rio Grande and they go after that boat that they think a cartel is in, they throw babies and toddlers in the Rio Grande, knowing that we will rescue the child while they get away. To see the bodies on the border to see the bodies in the fields. He said, it's, 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 it's shameful for what's happening in our nation. They're coming into our nation by the thousands. They're devouring our nation. And if you read Isaiah chapter 1, the Bible says, when you leave a gratitude and a worship of God, your nation is going to be invaded. And that's happening in our country today. And if you think rearing children is not an important thing, you better pay attention to what's going on in our nation. We need some Hannahs to rear some Samuels. We need some Jochebeds to rear some Moses. We need some fathers and mothers that will rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and teach them faith in God in this old book right here. Our nation's in trouble. I want to make seven statements quickly. I'm looking at my watch and I'm ignoring it the best I can. Number one, teach your children that God is the creator of the world and everything in it. You didn't evolve from lower animal life. You're God's special creation. Tell that baby boy, tell that little girl, even when they don't understand that God made them and God loves them. And every time uh, the sun rises and they're there, you tell them, God put that sun in the sky. God put that moon in the sky. God made your heart to beat. God gave you life. God is the creator of mankind. Second of all, teach your children that the Bible is the word of God. I didn't say you understood it all. I didn't say you can explain it all. Oh, but dear friend, this precious book is a book from God. Our forefathers said if a nation had no constitution and they took the Bible for their constitution, that would be the greatest that man could have today. This old book right here, it needs to be read in our homes. It needs to be in our homes. It needs to be a part of our lives. And you ought to read it even when you don't understand it all. And I promise you, if you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will guide you. You need to, your children need to have memories of dad and mom reading the Word of God. We've got to get the Bible back into our homes again. The president said yesterday in a speech in a college graduation, the biggest threat to our nation today is white supremacy. 
What, what, what a low-down, sorry outfit. Problem in our nation is we don't have enough of this book. If America was forced to read the Bible, we'd have a revival and a revolution. I'll give you the third thing. Teach your children they're fallen in sin and they must have a redeemer. Jesus loves them. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want to say number four. Bring your children up in Sunday school and church. Now listen to me. You may think it's not important, but I want to tell you it's important for your children to have a Sunday school teacher that teaches them the Word of God. I'm preaching to you this morning. I'm telling you this morning, our children need to be in Sunday school with mom and dad. And we need to be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I know it's difficult, but once you put it in your schedule and you start doing that, you'll say, I should have been doing this all my life. Bring your children up in church. Number five, teach your children what God says is right is right. And what God says is wrong is wrong. I don't care what the professor says. I don't care what so-called science says. What this book says is right is right. And what this book says is wrong is wrong. And our children need to have some kind of a standard. And the standard must be the same. And it must be what our nation was founded on, the Word of God. Number six, we need to discipline our children in love knowing that it is the will and ways of God. Now discipline without training is abuse of a child. We teach our children to do right. We teach our children to not do wrong. When they violate that, they need to understand what proper Bible discipline is so that they can understand there is a consequence. And all oh, how those, those whippings, they seemed to be terrible when I was a boy. They weren't so bad. I got hurt worse playing than I got in, in whippings. But I'm glad I had a dad and mom that believed in old-fashioned discipline. And last of all, I want to say pray for your children every day. Pray for your children no matter what their age is. Pray for your children every day. I prayed each day this week for Joel and Abby, JC and Jason, Joy and Grace. I prayed every day for them. If God doesn't protect our families. Hey folks, we need to pray for our children. The good days and the bad days, I pray for John and Caitlin and Lacey Kay and Jeremy and, and, and Marilyn. Shouldn't start saying names. I'll have married to the wrong person here. But, and, and sometimes God laughs at me too. He said, no, that's not who he's married to. He's married to her. But anyway, stand with me if you will. The faith of one mother made a difference. Not today. Didn't make a difference tomorrow. Didn't make a difference next year. Oh, but she made a difference by doing right today. Those of you that had a good and godly mother, aren't you thankful for a mama that pointed you to heaven and pointed you to God and pointed you toward that book? I understand there are folks here today, you don't know what a godly mother is. You don't know what a godly father is. But you can be that for your children. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, would you use this feeble attempt at preaching